Man, it is, whoa, a lot, hot, hot mic this morning. Good morning. Man, it is so good to be here uh, stepping into this glorious season of Advent. Um, if you're not familiar with the Advent tradition, the word Advent um, comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or visit or arrival. Advent is a season when we remember the coming or the arrival of Jesus and we eagerly anticipate uh, his return to make all things new. Each year, the church calendar traces uh, the events of Jesus' life um, through uh, the calendar uh, with that preparation for his birth at Advent, through his birth at Christmas, his death on Good Friday, and his resurrection at Easter, his ascension all the way through to the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so uh, the church calendar helps us keep Jesus front and center in our lives. These seasons are not just tradition where we get that wonderful nostalgia of the Christmas season. They're, they're designed to help us remember who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, this year, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to focus on Jesus' threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. And since Advent has four weeks, we're going to throw in a bonus title for you, Jesus as Messiah. Um, but we can learn a lot about Jesus from these three roles, the prophet, priest, and king. I love how uh, Tim Keller alliterated this as a good preacher. As prophet, he's the revealer. As priest, he's the redeemer. And as king, he is the ruler. Uh, so many of our understandings about Jesus come from a failure to appreciate these different offices of Christ. If we don't have Jesus as prophet, right, we don't have truth, right? We don't have someone who's telling us what we need to hear from God, the truth to direct our lives. If we don't have Jesus as priest, we don't have a way to deal with our sin, to experience the grace that God has for us. And we don't have Jesus as king, right? Then he's not in charge and really we're on our own, right? He may be gracious and loving, but uh, if he's not the king, right, we can't count on him to come through for us. Each of these important offices enriches our understanding of Jesus' life and work. And so I hope these sermons, which are merely just a, a little bit of a teaser on these offices, I wish at doing this thing, I was like, man, I should do a whole sermon series on each of these roles. They're so rich. And so hopefully these sermons just kind of pique your curiosity to learn more about Jesus through these different roles. And if you do want to dig a little deeper, we've got an Advent devotional, uh, which you could find up on our Slack page called Good News of Great Joy, put out by the Daily Grace Co. I know many of you are following along with that series as well through Jesus' role as prophet, priest, and king. And this week we're starting with Jesus' role as our prophet. We just spent the last 12 weeks in the minor prophets, so it's fitting that we see not just how Jesus fulfills so many of the specific prophecies we looked at in those minor prophets, but how Jesus himself is the final uh, prophet, revealing the final and definitive truth from God. As uh, all the prophets are minor when we compare them to the coming of Jesus. And so I'm going to anchor our our uh, sermon this morning in Acts 3, um, and so you'll see me come back to it, but it's going to be a little more broader, a little more topical, and so you can keep your Bible open, Acts 3. I'm going to have the other scriptures up on this screen, but it's going to be a little more topical because I'm covering a lot of ground this morning as my study of scripture and this topic brought me all over the Bible. 
But I think it's going to be good. I, if I can pull it all together, it's going to be really good. Now, prophets, um, if you follow along with our series this fall, you know prophets are truth tellers, right? And I think at one level, we all want the truth, right? We all want the truth. But, you know, as uh, Tom Cruise, was it Tom Cruise? You can't handle the truth. I don't know. We, we struggle, right, with actually wrestling with the truth. And truth may be harder to come by today in the world in which we live. Some have even called our culture today a post-truth culture. It's even hard to wrap our minds around truth in a culture like we live in. But Jesus, as our prophet, is bringing us the truth. And I want to I look basically, just by way of introduction, maybe at two popular approaches to truth today. And I want to contrast those to the truth Jesus brings to us. First, and arguably the most popular approach today is to find your own truth, right? Look deep within your heart and find your truth. As lifestyle coach Rebecca McCohen put it in her HuffPost article, I've got a great one. Step into your truth with these four simple steps. Here's what she said. Accept who you are at this moment, right? Look, look deep within, figure out who you are, right? And then acknowledge who you are, you know, that, that truth that you see as you're digging deeper into your soul, right? Acknowledge it and then define it, right? Try to, try to narrow it all down into one core thing and then live loudly and proudly. Live your truth, right? That's a very common understanding of truth in our culture today. If you're looking out at pop culture, that's probably what you're going to find in a lot of the songs on the radio and a lot of the lifestyle blogs and self-help books that you're going to see out there. Now, there are plenty of problems with this approach, but let me just name two up front here. As you're thinking about looking deep within at your heart to find your truth, right, which version of yourself should you accept? Which, which version of your truth should you take? Say, for instance, that you are surrounded by lots of sugar and chocolate cookies this Christmas season, and you desire to consume all of them, but you also want to be incredibly healthy and fit and in great shape for all those family gatherings this year, right? There's two desires warring within us. One, right, to be, to enjoy all the treats of the season, one to be healthy and fit and all of those things. And that's just a minor illustration of the ways in which our hearts, when we look deep within, Right? They're conflicted, right? Our desires are going all over the place. So if you're going to find truth within, which truth in your heart are you going to accept? Um, and even more obviously, this is a pretty heavy burden, right? It's hard enough to figure out a career or who you should marry or even where to eat, go out to dinner, much less figure out what is the truth of the universe, right? That's a pretty intense, pretty heavy burden to put on anybody out there to determine truth for themselves. And then second, a second approach to truth for others who find this first view rather ridiculous, and there are plenty of intellectuals out there that would love to make fun of this, they would say truth is found in the hard sciences, right? Truth is what we can measure, count, quantify. Truth is, is about science, right? Um, what we can measure, what science has been able, those hard truths like mathematical truths, physics, things that we can count. And while science has made some remarkable strides, right, in telling us about how the world works, right, it struggled with answering the bigger questions of life. You know, ask a scientist, what is love? Yeah. What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? And they're going to go like that. I don't have an equation for that. I don't have a calculation for that. Uh, and so when we're looking for, to science, right, we get a fairly limited 
perspective on the world. As one recent high-profile convert from atheism to Christianity recently said, and I have this up on the screen, atheism failed to answer a simple question, what is the meaning and purpose of life? And I'm going to come back to Ayan Hirsi Ali's story at the end of the sermon, but just up front, I want to tease that out to you, that, that some of the different versions of truth that we see in the world out there aren't working for people like Ayan, who was an atheist for 20 years, right? Committed to that truth, but found at the end of the day, atheism failed to answer that simple question. As a prophet, Jesus offers us another approach to truth that is just as radical today as it was in the first century. And so our big idea for this morning um, and for our series here, Jesus is our prophet, right? He's the truth teller. He comes to bring the truth. And so as our prophet, I want to look at three things this morning. I want, to see, I want you to see that Jesus is, or Jesus speaks the truth, that Jesus is the truth, and that the truth sets us free. Those are the different things I want to pull out here from Jesus' role as a prophet. I'm going to try and tie it to different scripture passages a little bit in Acts 3, so keep that open as well. Uh, But my aim for this morning's sermon is that the truth would set us free, that it wouldn't just be one more piece of information that you can add to your knowledge about Jesus and your, you know, win at Christian Bible trivia or something, but that the truth that we're studying this morning would actually transform our lives, that it would change us, that it would make an impact, that we wouldn't walk away from our time together the same. And so let's pray this morning that God might meet us, that the spirit of truth would come and bring his truth to bear on our lives. Father, we need to hear the truth. We need to face the truth. We need to embrace the truth, God. And you come as our prophet to bring the truth. You sent your spirit as the spirit of truth to to lead us into the truth. And we know we live in a culture um, that can be hostile to the truth, that can be ambivalent to uh, the truth. So you would help us this morning to encounter the truth and be deeply changed by it. Would you come by the power of your spirit, bring your word to life for your people. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as our prophet First, Jesus speaks the truth, right? Jesus is following in a long line of truth speakers, a long line of prophets who brought God's message. We spent the last 12 weeks, if you were here, looking through the minor prophets, but the prophetic office didn't originate there. Moses was actually the first great prophet of Israel. He revealed God's law to his people at Mount Sinai, God's framework for human flourishing for God's people at that time. And the later prophets all point back to Moses as the great prophet. But Moses himself, this is interesting, and this is where we're going this morning, points us forward to an even greater prophet. Both Acts 3 and Acts 7 call attention to this promise in Deuteronomy 18.15. And I think I have it up on our screen for us. Here, the Lord your God will raise for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. It is to him that you'll listen. And so you've got throughout the Old Testament this question, who is going to be this great prophet like Moses, but even greater than Moses, who's going to come and reveal God's truth to his people? 
Just as Moses revealed God's law, God's plans for the flourishing of his people, who's going to be the even greater prophet to bring God's word, bring God's truth, bring God's good news to the nations? Everyone's waiting. And there were a long line of prophets, right, raised up after Moses, right? We studied many of them in our prophet series. Prophets like Elijah and Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the 12 prophets that we studied, all the way down to John the Baptist, right? The greatest prophet up until that point. But none of them claimed to be the prophet. It's interesting when John the Baptist began his ministry, right? The religious leaders asked him, why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? It's interesting. Jesus' contemporaries are wondering, where is the Messiah? And we're going to talk about that one of the weeks. <laughs> where is Elijah, where is the one that's coming to prepare the way? Where is the prophet? God's people were eagerly waiting for a new prophet to lead them out of bondage, into truth, into freedom, into God's blessing. So when Jesus stepped on the scene, speculation was rampant that here finally was the prophet. We see this in John 6 and John 7, which I think I have up on the side as well. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who came into the world, who has come into the world. Or John 7, 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And by the time we get to the book of Acts, the apostles are confidently asserting that Jesus is the long-awaited prophet and that we need to listen to him, right? That's what we see in our text Centrally, this morning in Acts 3 and Acts 7, Jesus is preached to, the, to his contemporaries as the great prophet after Moses who's going to bring God's truth for his people, the means by which they might flourish and grow. If you've read any of the gospel accounts, you can see how deeply prophetic Jesus' teaching was. He was a truth teller, right? You just have to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John to capture just the level at which Jesus is bringing truth to his contemporaries. I wish I could go through a thought. Let me just list a few, right? The Sermon on the Mount took the commandments that Moses had given and deepened them to the heart level, right? He said, you know, you're saying, you know, don't commit adultery. Moses, don't commit adultery. I say anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has committed adultery in his heart, right? You know, Moses said, don't, don't murder. But I say, if anyone was angry with his brother, he's already committed murder in his heart. Jesus is deepening the teaching of Moses, bringing it not just to an externals, but down all the way to our hearts. His beatitudes reimagine the blessed life, right? Who would start, who would start the blessed life with? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? Who, who would go there? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is flipping everything his contemporaries thought they knew on their heads. His teaching on the kingdom flipped everything upside down, right? Those who are great are supposed to serve. Uh, they're supposed to give their lives instead of lord it over others. Right, his teaching on money and possessions was countercultural then, and it's just as countercultural today. Right, his teaching on heaven and hell, marriage and divorce, uh, his parables like the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son brought home the heart of God in new and fresh ways. Jesus was a truth speaker, and our culture is still wrestling with his teaching two thousand years later. It's foundational for so much of we what we take for granted today about human rights, the dignity of every person, the call to love our neighbors, and even our enemies. 
All of these things, right, are things that Jesus taught and absolutely revolutionized the Greco-Roman world. We go, yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, everyone had dignity. Of course, we shouldn't oppress. Of course, we shouldn't enslave people. But these were coming out of the teaching of Jesus. And these are the inspiration for, you know, Indian independence under Gandhi or the civil rights movement under Martin Luther King Jr. uh, Apartheid in South Africa. They're drawing on the teaching of Jesus, the kind of things we celebrate in our culture today. They're the legacy of Jesus' prophetic teaching against a much more hierarchical culture, a stratified culture where the rich and the powerful are at the top. And Jesus toppled all of that, but there are equal parts of his prophetic ministry that really challenge us today, that really poke us in the eye, right? His teaching on marriage and divorce, his teaching on money and possessions, his teaching in heaven and hell, right? So we need to take Jesus very seriously as a prophet, right? Speaking truth is as much a part of his nature as extending grace and forgiveness. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is a prophet, and he's bringing the truth to us because we desperately need the truth. But it's not enough to appreciate Jesus as a great teacher of truth, a great speaker of truth, a great prophet of truth. He won't let us do that. Jesus didn't just speak truth. Jesus is the truth. That's the great claim that we see in the gospel. So let's look secondly here. We've looked at the fact that Jesus speaks truth. Jesus takes it a step further. Jesus says that he is, in fact, the truth, right? Jesus is not only the prophetic messenger bringing a word from God. He is, in fact, the message. John tells us that Jesus is the word made flesh in John 1, 14. Jesus is the logos, the word of God, the truth of God in flesh and blood. Or to say it another way, Jesus doesn't simply speak truth. He says to us, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? Jesus is offering us not simply a version of truth, but he's offering us himself as the truth. One more testimony here. It's time from Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, And at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. He is the definitive revelation of truth because he is the definitive revelation of God himself. And that is a pretty tremendous, pretty radical claim. So it's not just Jesus' teaching, but his whole life that radiates truth, right? Jesus' incarnation shows us the length that he's willing to go to get the truth to us. We've already sang how he came from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt, right? Jesus' ministry is to show and to tell the truth, right? His life perfectly embodied his message. We see it in his compassion, his love, his healings, his mercy, all the ways Jesus stepped into the brokenness of the world around him. And of course, nowhere is that truth of Jesus revealed more powerfully, right? than in revealing the ugliness that our sin brought Jesus to the cross and revealing the incredible truth, right, of God's love for us displayed once and for all on that 
cross. And of course, death could not have the final word. Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death. He's seated at the right hand. And his message, right, his truth is still spreading around the world today. And we're part of that message. We're a part of that truth as it spreads. Now, these audacious truth claims demand a response, right? What are we going to do with this Jesus who not only speaks the truth, but also claims that he is the truth. In Acts 3, if you're following along, if to, to jump back into Acts 3, this calls for a response, right? And for Peter in Acts 3, 19, there's a call to repentance, right? Repent, therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, right? This response to who Jesus is and what he's done demands a response. And that's why he quotes Deuteronomy 18, this command to listen to the prophet sent from God. He's the definitive revelation of God. Listen to him. If you want to live your life in line with the truth, if you want your life to be a reflection of the truth, you're going to have to listen to Jesus. And this is why Peter sneaks in a reference to Leviticus 23.29 and Acts 3.23. It's interesting here. You'll notice he quotes Deuteronomy 18.15. Uh, Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he says. And then in verse 23, there's a quote from Leviticus 23. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. That's pretty strong language, right? There's a call to repentance. There's a call to listen. And then there's a warning. If you don't listen, you're going you're gonna to ultimately miss out on what life is all about, right? There's an ultimate promise of destruction. Your life will self-destruct if you decide to live against the grain of the universe. If you decide to live your life apart from Jesus, the warning here, and this is what prophets do. I know this is uncomfortable, right? Prophets love to make us uncomfortable. They love to, to put the truth into our face and make us deal with it, make us reckon with it, make us wrestle with it. That's what prophets do. They're, they're there to make us uncomfortable. And we need that from time to time, don't we? We need prophets to speak truth into our lives, right? You can't pick and choose with Jesus. The claims that he makes are so audacious that you've got to listen to everything that he says. You know, you can't pick and choose which pieces you like. Uh, probably no one said it more famously than uh, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. You've heard me quote this before. Uh, either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you could fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. Right? Clearly, he is a great prophet, right? a great human teacher by any standard of the word, but Jesus won't leave it there. Jesus himself is not willing to leave it at that point. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He leaves that uncomfortable truth with us, and we've got to deal with that. And I think it's this total claim to truth, right, that's the stumbling block for so many in our culture today, right? We, we like parts of his teaching, maybe the Sermon on the Mount or teaching on nonviolence. And of course, everybody wants to love their neighbor and that we should care about the widow, the orphan, and the refugee and the marginalized, right? Those are all things that Jesus talks about. You know, we, we, we like his teaching on anxiety or, or 
possessions. You know, he seems to dig minimalism. Like, this is the kind of guy, like, we're like, yeah, he's got a lot of helpful things to say, but we stumble over this claim to be the way and the truth and the life, right? That's an audacious claim, and we should reckon with that. We should acknowledge that. We should embrace that because that's what Jesus wants us to wrestle with. And I want us to wrestle with it as Christians too, because it's easy to say, hey, you know, as a non-Christian or a person that stumbled into this service, um, this is where I opt out of the Jesus message. But I think also for Christians, we can pay lip service that last. So of course, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But then we just kind of ignore conveniently some of the ways, right, that, that we don't like, some of the things that make us uncomfortable, right? His teaching about turning the other cheek or, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, you know, cut it out or, you know, the thing about laying up treasures in heaven or uh, anyone who hates his brother or calls him a fool be liable to the hellfire. Like, we're like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that's a little uncomfortable for those of us that maybe claim the truth, would like to walk in the truth, right? As a prophet, Jesus won't let us off the hook either. In fact, he would cause us to examine our hearts to see, are we really of the truth? Are we in the truth? Are we walking in the truth? Because as a prophet, Jesus is going to examine us. He's going to challenge us. He's going to provoke us. Jesus' prophetic ministry challenges us at a a lot of levels, revealing where we aren't conforming our lives to the truth. And that can be painful. I just want to acknowledge that this morning. That's a painful reality to be confronted with the truth, especially at first. But the prophetic challenge is tied to an equally powerful promise. And so I want you to see this all the way through. Notice what Jesus says in John 8, 31 through 32. He says, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, Jesus has got a message and it's a message of truth, right? That's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to challenge all of us. It's going to challenge me to examine the ways we're living our lives. But that truth ultimately is the thing that leads us into freedom. In fact, it's the only thing that will lead us into freedom. If we don't want to look at the truth, if we're running from the truth, if we're afraid of the truth, if we're trying to escape the truth, we're never going to find the freedom that we're ultimately looking for. And so finally, we need to look briefly at how the truth sets us free. The point of Jesus' prophetic ministry is not mere information, but transformation. Right? We have to start with the truth because there are so many lies, so much spin, so many competing narratives out there, and not only out there in the, in the world, but, but in our own hearts, right? We lie to ourselves, right? We get the wrong messages stuck in our heads. We have to battle our own false selves, the different projections of ourselves that we put forward that, to impress other people or to appease other people or to uh, project certain things to other people people, right? We need the truth. We need the ministry of the truth. We need the truth to cut through all the lies. And so we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with other people. We have to be honest with God. And that's why Peter's message in Acts 3 includes this call to repentance. It's a call to turn from the counterfeits to the true source of blessing. Notice in Acts 3, it's a movement from wickedness to blessing. Let me just read Acts 24, through 26, just at the end of this text, Peter has um, pointed everyone to Jesus. He's called them to repentance, to turn to Jesus, to, to listen to him. And then in verse 24 through 26, he says this, 
And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God has raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The point of the truth, right, is to set us free. It's to move us from wickedness to blessing. And that is so important for us to grasp as we come to the conclusion, as we're grappling with, do we want to follow Jesus, right? Are we going to live our lives around him? We we need to see where he's taking us, the journey he's taking us on. That, That truth is what brings us out into the free life, into the abundant life that he calls us to. I love that the end of this message is blessing. I love that. He sent him to you first to bless you. He sent him to God's people, that original audience, to bless them. Sent them to the Jews first, right? They're hearing the message there at Pentecost in Acts. They're able to, or right after Pentecost, right there in Jerusalem, and yet that message has gone out to us because God wants those blessings of Abraham to go to all the nations, all the families, all the people of the earth. This word blessing is one we throw around, I think, rather flippantly today, like, hey, got a, got a parking spot at the mall, hashtag blessed. You know, we, we, we just kind of, we, we kind of throw it around like, yeah, blessed life, yeah, blessed day, blessed family, whatever. But, but biblically, to be blessed is to have the favor of God. It's to have all the blessings of God. Like to, to be blessed is to be living in the favor of the living God, that's a powerful thing. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer defines blessing. He said, a blessing is the visible, perceptible, effective proximity of God, right? To be blessed is to be experiencing God himself in our lives and all the blessings that come with that. That's where where the truth is leading us to Jesus and into his presence, into a restored and renewed relationship with us, back into the presence of God where we belong, all because of what Jesus did on the cross by laying down his life for our sins. His resurrection is our resurrection, our chance at a new life, stepping into the freedom that he offers for us, right? And Peter wants his hearers who are evaluating this commitment to Christ that he's challenging, right, with the truth He wants them, as they're doing the cost-benefits analysis, to say, look at the blessed life God is inviting you into you if you can turn away from the lies, right? Truth may be painful to hear, but it always leads us to freedom. It always leads us to blessing. It always leads us to transformation. You can't get those things without facing the truth. And that's why we need the bad news before the good news, right? We need to hear all the ways that we need to be confronted, the ways we aren't living in line with the life God has for us in Jesus. So what difference uh, would putting Jesus front and center this week as our prophet make to our everyday lives as you're wrestling wrestling with Jesus as prophet? Three things I want to give you as takeaways uh, this morning and then a quick story. First, uh, we should be people who love the truth, right? That, that should just be, as Christians, we should be people who love the truth. We should be people who welcome the truth. We should ask for it. We should invite it. Like, we should invite trusted people into our lives and say, hey, 
hey, if you're seeing something where my life is out of line with the truth, would you tell me about that? That's the kind of freedom we have in Christ, right? We're so loved and accepted in Jesus because of what he's done that we can actually invite people to tell us the truth. We don't have to hide. We don't have to posture. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to perform because we're so safe in Jesus, right? We can be honest and we can invite other people to be honest with us. It's an incredible thing, right? We shouldn't be afraid of the truth. As Christians, we should be looking for truth all around us, right? Because all truth is God's truth, right? We should be able to study truth. We should follow the truth because we know it's from God. Second, we should test all truth claims against what Jesus said, right? If Jesus is the truth, it's not enough, right, to just recognize truth because, as we said, truth's a pretty conflicted thing. We need to see what did Jesus say, and Jesus commended us to the Scriptures, right, as a source of our truth, as a source of guidance, as the Scriptures we need to look at the world and understand what God is doing. And finally, we should be truth speakers, right? That's part of who we are as Christians. The beauty of being created in God's image and being renewed in the image of Christ is that we get to be like him. We get to be speakers of truth, truth speakers, messengers of truth, witnesses to the truth. We get to testify to all the blessings that we have in Christ, right? The, to the fact that the truth does in fact set us free and what that freedom looks like. We, we get to testify to that, and what a wonderful opportunity this time of year to testify to the freedom Jesus brings as a prophet. And so this all doesn't seem academic here. I wanted to close with the story of truth changing someone's entire perspective. I always love highlighting these kind of stories. So, so we just remember that this wasn't just like, you know, in Acts 3, people's lives were transformed and the church was born and the gospel launched out into the world and, you know, here we are in Grand Rapids 2,000 years later, and it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, run its course. No, it's still changing lives uh, today. Um, so I want to look just briefly here at the story of Ayan um, again and, uh, and uh, just give you a quick summary of her life because it's so fascinating to me to hear uh, this. And this is a summary out of the free press um, that I was reading this week, and I thought, man, what an incredible thing to share one of the biggest stories, uh, the, the editor of the, the article said, one of the biggest stories of the past few days didn't happen in Washington or Gaza or Tehran, but was an invisible change that happened inside the heart and mind of one woman, Ayan Hirsi Ali. Ayan is many things. She is a refugee from Somalia, where she was a victim of female genital mutilation. She was a Dutch politician whose criticism of Islam, the religion she was raised in, led to death threats. Theo Van Gogh, her collaborator on submission, a film about Islam was murdered in the streets of Amsterdam and the killer left a note stabbed into his body, warning her that Ion would be next. A normal person would have shut up, but Ion is not normal. She wrote a memoir, Infidel. She became a mother. She became an American and she never ever quieted her voice. It is for all these reasons and many more that Ion is one of the great heroes of our time. She's also been, since the early 2000s, among the most prominent atheists in the world. Or at least she was until last week when she announced in the pages of Unheard that she had converted to Christianity. And I have just two quotes I want to directly from her own letter that she wrote, which I thought encapsulates in many ways the message we're looking at this morning. This is what she said, and I have it up on the screen as well. I ultimately found life without any spiritual solace unendurable, indeed very nearly self-destructive. 
Just let that land on you. Someone who spent the first, you know, 20 odd years of her life um, living in the Muslim Brotherhood in Somalia and the next 20 years of her life as one of the most prominent atheists in the world, ultimately found life without any spiritual solace, unendurable, indeed, very nearly destructive, right? 20 years of living in that lifestyle. And then one more quote, which I found even more remarkable. Fortunately, there is no need to look for some new age concoction of meditation and mindfulness, medication and mindfulness. Christianity has it all. Isn't that interesting? What a powerful statement from someone who spent, right, her life as a Muslim, spent her life as an atheist, pursuing the alternatives, and at the end of that, come to the end of herself to say, man, I don't, I don't have to look for it in all these different alternative spiritualities. I don't have to go searching deep in my heart to find the truth and the way and the life. Christianity has it all. I hope you walk away this morning with the assurance that truth is still setting people free and that it can set you free this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus and that he's our prophet, that he's not content to just let us live a life of lies, but he grabs us by the neck, as it were, uh, shakes us out of our complacency and apathy, and uh, sometimes just hits us right upside the head with truth. We need that, God, because we know that it's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that, that changes our lives. It's the truth that is the catalyst for change and transformation. Um, and we thank you for Jesus coming, not just to expose us, uh, but to die for us, to lay down his life on our behalf so there can now be no more condemnation for us, to make it safe enough for us to come out of hiding into the truth, to face the truth about ourselves and receive the change and the help and the healing that we need. Uh, I pray that this church would be a place for people to take those very steps um, of change that are needed, God, and is that you, as the spirit of truth, convict us of truth this morning, as you reveal areas where we're not living in line with the truth of the gospel, areas where we're not living in line with your word, God, that as you do that beautiful work, you'd also bring your beautiful work, your ministry to us, God, of the work that you bring, of forgiveness and grace and, and redemption into our broken stories and broken narratives. And as we gather around this table uh, together, it'd be a table of grace where we can all come broken and sinners uh, to be set free to experience the life you have for us. And so, um, yeah, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.